Well, hey everyone, good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. Uh, special welcome to you if you're joining us for the first time. I know we have uh, people who are watching online. Maybe you're checking us out for the first time if you're here in person. Joining us for the first time, we're very thankful to have you uh, with us this morning, uh, worshiping together, gathering together to um, uh, be in each other's presence as we seek Jesus out together, as we seek to be made new by him, as we take communion, as we uh, fellowship with one another, and as we study God's word. So, uh, we're excited to have you with us. We're actually going through the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of been our series throughout the fall. And we've been walking through and letting ourselves really be open and challenged to what Jesus has to say for us. And I mean, I think for me, as I've gone back through the, the Sermon on the Mount this year and kind of studying it again, um, I have that has really stood out to me just how much of a challenge, how radical it is for us that, you know, what Jesus is calling us to, to live in this countercultural kingdom that he has initiated through his coming, through his life, through his death and his resurrection. Um, and it, it puts a demand on us, but one that is, as we'll talk about today, one that is, is a challenge, but is also light and is also easy and good for us to follow. So let me pray for us and then we'll hop into the sermon. Lord, we thank you for as we gather here this morning, God, as we come together, as we, we drive here, um, as we maybe tune in online, um, as we come to this place, Lord, we know you come to this place too. We're not here just us. It's not just a social club. It's not just a hangout of some friends or some people with a similar interest, but it's a place where you have gathered with us too, Lord. Um, I pray that as we are gathered here together, that you would be uh, with us powerfully with your presence. Speak to us through your spirit. Um, Help us to know you better, God, and to grow more like your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So what I want to do today is I want to actually start out with a list of different phobias or fears, and we'll see how many of these you know, okay? So let me throw a few up on the screen, see if you've heard of these before. First, arachnophobia. Who's heard of this one? Who has arachnophobia? Yes, I figured, a, I figured several hands would go up for that one. My wife has arachnophobia. Um, yeah, sp- spiders are scary. Also, though, they keep all the other bugs out of your house, so maybe let them, maybe let them hang out. All right, next up, acrophobia. Anyone heard of acrophobia? This is the fear of heights. Okay, anyone have acrophobia? Good thing we live in, like, the flattest place in the world, right, in Minnesota. Okay, how about this? I had to put a pronunciation on this one. Arachabotyrophobia. This is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Okay, anyone with arachabotyrophobia? Okay, all right, next up. Nomophobia. This is the fear of being without your mobile phone. I gotta think that this was a, a very new phobia to enter the dictionary. All right. Xanthophobia. This is the fear of the color yellow. Okay. Globophobia. Fear of balloons. All right, last, or two, two more here, but, uh, okay. Anyone want to try to pronounce this one? Hippopotomonstroses quipped aliophobia. Any guesses as to what that is? Yeah, it is. Wow, nice. I feel like the irony of that, that it's the fear of long words, 
It's like a cruel joke played on people who actually have this. For them to be like, yeah, I have this fear of really long words, and I'll tell you what it is, but I'm going to shudder and cringe as I say it. <laughs> I feel like that's very ironic. Um, yes, the fear of long words. Okay, how about this one? Last one. Gamophobia. Gamophobia. This is the fear of commitment, okay, or, or marriage, okay? But I want to focus on it as the, the fear of commitment today. All right, now these, these are, you know, these are phobias. I know they're actual diagnoses, like, and, you know, we like to joke around and say, like, you know, maybe we have this phobia, and maybe we do, maybe we don't, based on, like, you know, a clinical diagnosis or something. But I think if we're honest, this, this gamma phobia, this fear of commitment, I think a lot of us can find ourselves afraid to jump in, all in on something, to have a bit of a, a fear to really give ourselves over to something at the, uh, you know, exclusion of something else. Kind of no matter what happens and sacrificing other options by doing so, right? Now, if that's you, and I think, let's, let's be real, I think we all maybe have this to some degree or another, right? I hope you're not wearing sandals for a lot of reasons, but mainly because Jesus is going to step on some toes a little bit today, I think. Okay, because in the Sermon on the Mount, if you've noticed, he states things very strongly, Okay, he, he, he's, he's sharp in what he says. And he, you can tell he's not looking for fence sitters in the kingdom of God. Okay, he's looking to have us really jump all in. And today's passage, we're going to really talk about that today because he's going to talk to us about two paths that we can take. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about two paths, choosing the way of Jesus, really jumping into the way of Jesus as outlined in the Sermon on the Mount. Because as he comes to the end of the sermon, and we have, uh, we have two more sermons left, including today, so we're almost at the very end of this, Jesus is going to present to us this clear choice, these two paths that we can take. And it's not a casual decision that he's asking us to make, right? Like ch- choosing chicken or steak on our burrito, okay? It's something very serious. It's, he's he talking about life and destruction. That's the words that he used to describe these two paths. And he's talking about his way or really any other way. <clears throat> Being a bystander is not an option for Jesus. To follow him, he's going to make clear today, I think, requires sacrifice and commitment. Okay, so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to really dig into what it looks like for us to really commit to follow after Jesus. Um, as we've been doing throughout this series, we're going to be doing a question and response time after the sermon. Um, so if you would like to submit a question about anything uh, kind of related to the sermon, uh, go ahead, go to our website, redcitychurch.org. You can scroll down a little bit and find a place to submit questions. And we'll try to get to a couple of them today. We might not get to them all, um, but we like to sort of have that back and forth. It's really fun for us, and we, we try to pull it out from time to time in our sermon. So we'd love to hear from you uh, after the sermon, um, and we'll do, do that little Q&R after. I wrap up before we do worship and, and communion and everything. All right, so let's jump into the passage itself today. We're talking about just two verses in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So if you're one of Jesus' hearers, you're, you're hearing this, is, is an actual original audience, people living in Judea in the time, you would hear this and you'd picture a city, 
a walled city um, like Jerusalem with gates, kind of maybe a few gates that are kind of a portion uh, throughout the city uh, to get in and out. The ancient world had a lot of cities like this. You built a big wall around it to make it, um, to give it protection against invading armies. And some cities would have large gates, some would have small gates, some would have maybe both of them like Jerusalem did. Now, the larger gate, you would just kind of end up walking through. You'd just kind of be going with the crowd. You might not even notice. It was so wide. You might not even notice you necessarily pass from being in the city to out of the city, depending on how much you were paying attention, right? It was so wide. It was kind of easy to flow through to through, to go with the flow of the rest of the crowd. But the smaller ones, these were small enough to where it could only accommodate one person at a time. All right, so you would have to really be focused to find your way to that gate to get through it. And I think that's probably what uh, people who are hearing this would have thought about. Now, the idea that it's narrow, I don't think that it means that it's like restricted to a certain amount of people when Jesus says only a few find it. I don't think he's saying there's like a heaven quota or something like that, right? Only the first hundred who get in line are going to make it through. I think he's talking about it, that it's narrow and that it's well-defined. It's specific. And so what he's saying, I think, is living the teaching that Jesus has given throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is like walking a path. And it's a very specific one. It follows closely to what Jesus has outlined here. And we could call it, if we wanted to call it something, we call it the the way of Jesus, the capital W way of Jesus, the way to follow after him in terms of what he said here in the Sermon on the Mount and and beyond it too, because this is just the start of his ministry. There's gonna be much more that he's gonna unpack throughout it and the rest of the gospels show us about this teaching of of Jesus. And and we've talked about this stuff. If If you've listened to the series, you know stuff like worry about prayer, about hatred and lust and radical enemy love, on uh, fulfilling the law, on money and and materialism, on simplicity, on repentance in our hearts, and and kind of so much more else that we've touched on in the series, and even stuff we haven't really had the chance to dig into as much as we would have liked. This is what it looks like to follow after Jesus, and it is something that Jesus wants us to take to heart, to radically commit to them, and to walk this path, this way that he's given us. Now, now, to be clear, just I think it's worth, worth pointing out here, I think the gate is grace, all right? I don't think Jesus is saying you have to follow these perfectly in order to, 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 to get in. I, you know, elsewhere in John 10, he's, he uses a similar word picture. He's describing a, a pen, a sheep pen. And he describes himself specifically as the gate, the one that we enter through as we trust in him, as we believe in him uh, as the one who gave up his life for the sheep. He specifically talks about that there. So I think we have to understand that we enter through him and in his grace, but also we continue along it by being his disciples, by being his apprentices, living the way that he calls us to outlined here, in other places in scripture. And we've sort of seen how well-defined this is throughout this series. We've tried to really lean into how radical it actually is and what it looks like for us to make sense of it and live it in our lives daily. It's not something that we piece together where we kind of pick the parts we like and leave the parts we don't like, like Build-A-Bear or we're at Subway or Chipotle, right? That's not what he's talking about here. That's actually what walking the broad path, I think, would look like. The word there used for broad, it can mean spacious, roomy, easy. 
Okay, and the idea is that you can go in any direction you want, and it can look however you want to, and you're still going to get through the gate. It's that wide. The path is that wide. It's very hard to deviate off of. There are no curbs on this road. There are no boundaries. The only boundaries that are there are really self-imposed, the ones that you might choose to have. And you can kind of make it up as you go. You can kind of keep your options totally open. Now, I think for us, hearing what Jesus says here about these two paths, the bigger challenge is probably not so much thinking we want to follow after Jesus and, you know, kind of resonating with certain things that he says, right? There are definitely, everyone loves Jesus, right? That's a, that's a, a very common thing to find people who are not followers of Jesus who still give him two thumbs up, right? Everyone likes something about Jesus probably pretty much. But, but I think the challenge more so is going all in on it. Because we like to keep our options open. We don't like to sacrifice the possibility of, of changing our mind down the road in some way. Okay? It's common for people to wait years to commit to do things like pick a major, to uh, you know, get married, uh, to buy a pair of jeans, to pick what restaurant to eat at. Right? You guys know how difficult it can be sometimes to just say, yes, we're going to do this thing to the exclusion of everything else. It can be really tough for us. So saying that we're all in on this narrow path that Jesus offers us, to walk it our whole life, to commit to that, it's something that's naturally going to be a challenge for us. And so I want us to really dig into that for, for a lot of the sermon here today, to dig into why that's a challenge and how what Jesus says speaks to it, okay? So why is it a challenge for us? Why is it tough for us sometimes to jump in? Well, first off, the first reason is I think a lot of times we're waiting for certainty, okay? We want some kind of confirmation that if we make a decision, if we really go all in on something, it will be the best choice. We'll know that for sure before we go in. There will be no regrets at any point throughout it that if we pick this person to marry, we'll know that someone better won't come along someday that will regret being stuck with this one person. Or if we buy this house, we won't you know, see another better house come on the market a few years later and really wish we'd bought that one instead. Or if we move to this city for grad school, we'll know a month in, it was the, the perfect decision. We'll have no regrets about it. And sometimes we just don't want to pull that trigger until we feel like we have that certainty. Okay, but I think we all know deep down, like you never have that certainty in anything that you do. The world just, it doesn't work that way. And I think we all know that, but deep down we're still waiting for it a lot of times. Okay? And so if we're always waiting, we find ourselves often choosing nothing or taking far longer to make a decision than we needed to. I think we can feel that way about the way of Jesus too. We can find ourselves asking the question when we hear stuff like what he says in the sermon, well, how do I know that this narrow path really does lead to life? How do I know that committing fully to all the parts of it is going to actually be in my best interests? Okay, what if I pick the parts I like and do those things, and maybe if I decide to pick some of the other stuff, I can jump in and do that stuff down the road later on. Keep my options open. Well, Jesus, I think, speaks to this, not here necessarily, but in other places where he, uh, he, he, he teaches. And we find this throughout the entire New Testament, this important theme, this important virtue in the Christian life called faith. It's an essential part of the way of Jesus, I think. And it really undergirds the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about it directly quite a bit throughout his ministry. 
he realizes he's told us to follow him. He's told us to believe in him, but that we don't always have that certainty. We don't always know what it'll look like. He's promised us life, but we, haven't, we don't have a time machine to go to the end and actually see for ourselves that this walking this path has led us to the life that he promised us. So faith is something that gets talked about a lot because it's essential for us to truly walk this path, to believe that when we get to the end of it, what Jesus has promised us will be what, is, what we meet. And faith really only works. Here's the thing about it. And here's why it is a challenge for us. It really only works fully if we're truly committed, right? We can't just dip our toe in and go swimming. We have to jump all the way in for it to work. And I think here's something that, that is important for us to remember. And so if you're a note taker, here's something to write down. Far more, I think, is possible in, in, in all sorts of situations, and especially in following Jesus, far more is possible through faith than in keeping our options open and waiting to see if something better comes along. We will far more often in our life, and especially with Jesus, find ourselves fulfilled, finding life, when we jump in and commit through faith than in just kind of waiting and just kind of playing, playing the options, trying to wait to see what comes along and if it's any better. To give ourselves over fully to God, to give up control to him. He can do more with it. And, and I want to talk about this here next, we're better equipped to follow him and have God move in and through us when we actually jump in and commit too. Okay, so let's talk about a second reason that we might struggle to commit. We think keeping our options open will make us happier and lead us to more success. Right? This is kind of just common sense, we might think. Right? What could be worse than picking something, finding out that it just really sucks, and then being trapped by that commitment, that decision? Right? That commitment might just become a cage for us, and we realize that's possible anytime we commit to anything, and so doesn't it just make more sense? Wouldn't we be happier and more successful if we just maybe, maybe hold on to things a little bit loosely or just kind of wait and see before we actually jump into anything just in case something better comes along and we can go towards that thing if we find it? Well, I was, in preparing for the sermon, I, I was trying to dig into some research on this, and I found a great article by a social psychologist, speaker, and author named Heidi Grant. And she references some research by a Harvard psychologist named Dan Gilbert in a book he wrote called uh, Stumbling on Happiness. And he did all this research, and he discovered that reversible, keep-your-options-open decisions actually reliably lead to lower levels of satisfaction than actually just jumping in and making an irreversible decision. Okay? In other words, we are significantly less happy with our choices when we can back out of them. Okay? It's really interesting and it's really counterintuitive to that common sense, but there is a, you know, he actually cited an example of a study. People were asked to choose an art poster that they could keep. And those who were told that they could, they could change their mind and return it for a different poster in the next 30 days reliably reported being less happy with their decision than those who had to just pick a poster and stick with it. Okay, and so something that she calls the, the, the psychological immune system kicks in, right? It actually causes us to find, you know, real joy and happiness in the thing that we choose. When we know this is what we're committed to, we've jumped into it. We actually find ourselves happier when we do that than if we just are waiting and keeping our options open, okay? Because when you keep your options open, you can't stop thinking about the downside, 
right? You're always noticing the flaws in the thing you're doing because you've kind of said, well, if something better comes along or if this thing isn't as great as I thought it would be, then I will jump out of it. I'll find something better. And you're not focused on the thing. You're not committed to it and really trying to make it better or trying to enjoy what is good about it. And she cites research that shows that keeping our options open doesn't just rob you of happiness, but it actually leads to poor performance. Okay, so let me quote this thing that she said. Once again, it's because thoughts related to making the right decision stay active in your mind when your options are open. This places a rather hefty burden on your working memory, and it's distracting. When you're still deciding what you should do, you don't have the cognitive resources to vote yourself fully to what you're actually doing, your attention wanders, and as a result, your performance suffers. Okay, so I think this is true in our work, in our school, in our marriage, in our friendships, um, in our church, in our community groups. And, And for sure, I think, in your ability to really do what Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount. To really give ourselves over to following after him and to seeing the fruit of that be born in our lives. To actually see ourselves experiencing life in the present from following Jesus, it's much more difficult to do that if we only have one foot in. If we're waiting for something better to come along. And when we go into things, trying to keep our options open, kind of half-hearted, what we end up being is just kind of loosely connected to a lot of different things, but not strongly rooted in anything, because we're always just waiting for something better to come along, something that will be easy to detach from in case we find that thing. We only are going to get the full benefit of something if we're all the way in, and I really truly think the way of Jesus and the gospel are no exception to that. What about another reason? This is another reason I think we might be slow to commit to things, especially following Jesus, is that we think we can have it all. We can have all of Jesus and we can have all of something else. We can do everything. We can sort of be fully committed to everything and have it work out. Okay, but think of it like this, okay? When you go to a movie in the theater, your phone is off and you're in the dark, right? You can't focus on anything except the movie. You are totally, totally engrossed in The screen is massive. It's really loud in there. You're just in this immersive experience. And for two hours or whatever, you're totally pulled along by the movie. Now think about how enjoyable of an experience that is. To be fully into something, to be sacrificing, you know, co- connecting to the rest of the world, to seeing what's going on on social media or if there's any breaking news or anything like that and trying to have a conversation with the people around you in working or something like that. Just being pulled along by the, by the movie is so much better than going home, turning the movie on, on on your TV and trying to watch the movie while you're working at the same time, or maybe you're surfing your phone, you're, you're, you know, you're doing the Wordle, you're, you're checking uh, social media or something like that. It's a totally different experience. When we're trying to have it all, a lot of times what we're doing is having nothing. Right? Think about that. Think about this. Like if you have watched a TV show at your home, like we do this sometimes, right? And I'll be like, I will be actually doing the Wordle um, Quirtle, it's Wordle plus three others. It's very, very intense. But I'll do that sometimes, and I'm not hardly paying attention to uh, the TV show that we're watching or something, and I'm actually just really bored. I feel like I should be super stimulated, right? I shouldn't be bored at all because I have all the stuff going on. But really, I'm just bored. I'm not having that sort of satisfaction that I have in a theater where I'm just focused on the movie, right? And it's because 
we can't have it all, right? There's a, there's, I mean, I don't think I probably need to belabor this point, but we know there's plenty of studies out there that say multitasking is a myth. We can't multitask. What we end up being is just distracted and bored instead of truly immersed in something, truly being pulled along by it. And I think we can do this sometimes with Jesus. We can do Jesus. We can do it all, plus whatever else we might want to walk towards. Anything else, right? We can be fully committed to all these different things. We can have the benefits of the path to destruction without the destruction and the life of the way of Jesus. We can have the decadence of seeking treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. We can have both. Why, why pick one? Why not just have them both? We can follow after our heart's desires so that our will is done and we can pray the Lord's prayer and pray that God's will will be done. We can have all of it but it doesn't work like that. I think what we're really doing when we try to have it all is we end up just multitasking our life, right? We're scraping the surface of everything, but we're deeply rooted in nothing. Okay, Jesus is calling us to be deeply rooted in him. And that means saying no to some things sometimes so that we can say yes to Jesus, to sacrifice some things. Okay, and so here's the question for us that I want us to focus on uh, for the rest of the sermon. Are you sacrificing for Jesus or are you just finding yourself sacrificing Jesus? In trying to have it all, in trying to have it all, you're actually gonna find yourself sacrificing something. So what is it that you're sacrificing? Walking in the way of Jesus, choosing his path, means actual, real decisions in our minds. It means not just, it's not just something we say yes to in our minds or our hearts. It's something we have to say yes to in our decisions, in our calendars, in our lives. It has to be reflected in the day-to-day. And when we don't, if we actually look back on our lives and what we've done, we find that we have actually made decisions. We have actually been sacrificing, even if we didn't realize it. But often, what we're sacrificing is Jesus, If we're not intentional, that's what's going to happen. Let me use a personal example. I was thinking about this actually quite a bit recently. Um, I had to consider this question for myself. I felt really convicted by God a few weeks ago as I was praying over this. Okay, I I like to run and work out. I I just I I enjoy getting up in the morning, going for a run, uh, you know, getting a lift in. And I got into that habit over COVID because I was like literally nothing else to do, right? And I was like, if I just sit around my house all day. Uh, I'm not going to probably be very happy with who I've become over the next couple of years. So I was like, let me, I want to get out and run a lot more and everything. And I got, I got kind of good at having that habit and routine in my life. I got really good at every morning just getting up knowing it's time to go for a run. And I've actually found that I get really stressed if I don't get a workout in in the morning, right? I, I think, I, deep down, I think I'm just a, man, if I don't get this run in today, I'm a, just teetering on the edge of unhealth, right? I am going to gain 10 pounds if I don't go for a run this morning. And that's tied to some weight issues I had as a kid. I'm not going to get on the, the couch, the therapist couch today and unpack it all for you. I know where it comes from, okay? But that's kind of what's going on in the back of my mind when I am kind of every morning when I'm thinking about this. And many mornings, getting that run or workout in meant that I had trouble truly spending some time uh, with Jesus, kind of preparing my heart well uh, to follow after him, in that day, in what I was going to be doing throughout that day, and really for the whole week, maybe praying for all of you, praying for the church. Like, I just had my, I had trouble finding time doing that on a regular basis. And I kept telling myself, 
I can have it all. I can do all of this. Okay? I just need to keep trying harder to make it happen. I need to get up earlier. I need to be more focused on everything. But over and over and over, over again, the workout would happen. I would rush to the shower, and then I would find it being too late to spend any time really seeking Jesus out. I had to get into work, and the swirl of all that stuff just became too much. And, you know, maybe I get five minutes of prayer in there or something, but that's about all I was getting. All right? So what I'm doing is I'm sacrificing time spent in the way of Jesus. It's a decision that I'm making without realizing it by trying to have it all. And a few years ago, I was reading in uh, 1 Timothy, and Paul says to Timothy, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And that has really stuck in my head ever since. That kind of convicted me a couple years ago, but it was only finally recently here where I felt convicted by God to actually do something about that, right? He was saying, yeah, working out is good. It, it has value. I think it is part of a well-rounded life. It does help me to serve Jesus better because it's a healthy way to deal with stress and, and other things that, I, that I'm going through. But, but really, when, when it's done to the exclusion of my ability to ever connect with God, I'm making a decision to try to have everything but really having nothing and especially not having as much of Jesus as I could. And that's really me trying to walk down the wider, broad path, I think, that Jesus is talking about here. And so recently, finally, like I said, in some time of prayer and seeking Jesus out, I was really convicted. Where are you sacrificing? Where are you giving something up in order to follow after me? And I felt convicted, like, to make a change to my weekly schedule. So I'm gonna, you can ask me about, please, keep me accountable. You can ask me about this going forward spending at least one morning a week where I am not going to work out. I'm going to sacrifice any fear I have about any unhealth or something like that so I can really truly deeply engage with Jesus. I can spend good time in prayer, seeking him out, listening to his voice, asking how I can follow him in his way. Sacrificing that time of working out to make sure that I have that regular time of Jesus. I know it doesn't seem like much, right? But it was kind of tough to convince myself to do that. It really was. It was a bit of a challenge. Okay? And I know that making that decision won't change it forever. It's something I'm going to have to keep doing. I think that's what it means to walk the way of Jesus, to kind of continually commit every week to doing this and having faith that it'll all work out. Okay, so let me turn this on to you now. Right? Think about what are you sacrificing? Maybe you're doing great. Maybe you don't need to change anything. But I suspect that's probably not true if you really ask yourself this question honestly. Okay? Maybe you're like me. Are you sacrificing time in deep, connective prayer with God for something else? Daily or weekly, you're, you're just finding yourself never getting into uh, this because you are trying to have something else. Maybe you regularly sacrifice Sundays at church for some other reason. You're, 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 you're traveling. It's easier to stay home you know, it's, it's something else, right? It's something else that has got your heart. Is it in regards to your money, your attention, the treasure of your heart, what Jesus has talked about earlier in the sermon? Is it allegiance to something, right? A political party or agenda that you find yourself sacrificing following Jesus to follow after this thing instead? Is it just in keeping your options open and not truly committing to Jesus or his way? Okay, ask yourself, where are you trying to have it all, but instead you find yourself just sacrificing Jesus instead? 
I think this question is just as relevant for the seasoned Christ follower as it is for the one who has just started out following Jesus or is thinking about it. And I don't know where it might be for you. I would actually encourage you to trust the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Um, Honestly, he probably already has. It's probably a question of have you been taking it seriously or not. Okay? But whatever it is, I think we need to talk about this because I think, again, this fear that we have of jumping into things sometimes, we can be scared of it. It can lead to some fear, some anxiousness, some stress, right? We might think committing to the way of Jesus, we might fear that this is enslaving because it rules out some other options sometimes. And the broad path might seem inviting because of its choices and its flexibility, okay? But in reality, I think here's the thing we need to remember trying to do it all, trying to constantly be evaluating our options to find the best one is itself a kind of slavery. Um, I don't know if you guys got a chance to listen to this, but uh, earlier this week, um, we recorded a podcast with a few people from Res City kind of talking about, uh, through some questions that got brought up in the sermon Julie preached a few weeks ago on worry and kind of getting into some questions about anxiety. And, And Julie was joined by Katie and Drew and Lisa. And man, you guys, we are blessed with some really wise people at Red City. Uh, we've done a couple of these podcasts throughout the series now, and it's just really incredible. So, like the wisdom um, that we have at Red City. So, anyway, plug for everyone of you at Red City. You're all very wise, and you should all talk to each other more and go deeper and learn. Okay, but again, there was something that they talked about on this podcast about how all this freedom that we want to have sometimes actually just leads us to worry. Right? Whether it's tied to potential regret, to not knowing the path ahead, to fear that something else better is out there. And that is itself a kind of burden that we bear. Okay? It is, is the kind of thing we think we're avoiding by keeping our options open. We're actually heaping upon ourselves by trying to have it all, to, to keep our options open, to just kind of be constantly waiting for something better to come along. That actually is a thing that keeps us trapped. Okay? We become slaves to, to what if. We become slaves to the fear of some imaginary regret that we might have down the road. Right? To trying to satisfy all the things that we're trying to accomplish as we seek to do it all. Those just become burdens that we carry. And that leads us oftentimes to feel a lot of anxiety and stress and worry. I think in reality, sacrificing options and flexibility, and even sometimes our preferences, giving that up in faith to walk the path that Jesus sets out for us is not enslaving, but it's actually very simple and light, okay? It's only enslaving and a burden to us if the things we might have to sacrifice are things that have too strong a hold on us, okay? And that's what I think Jesus says here later on in Matthew. If we jump ahead to chapter 11, verses 20 to 30, he says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened by what if, by fear of regret. Learn from me and you don't have to fear what if. I am gentle I am humble. You will find rest and life when you follow me in my way. I think one of the ways in which that Jesus is, the, the burden that he puts on us through following him, the yoke that he puts on us uh, in following him, that is light and that it's very simple. Right? While it's full of depth, the kind of depth that we spend the rest of our lives really searching out and understanding and knowing, it's got a real simplicity to it too. And I think the simplicity is this. 
that it all flows out of the gospel. It all comes back to the same thing. It is all shaped in the pattern of Jesus himself. Because we see Jesus living out his own way and we see that it leads him to life. We see that he isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done and that hasn't led to life. Right? We see Jesus love his enemies. We see him sacrificing grudges and animosity in order to give us new life. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how we're God's enemies. And Jesus taking his own words seriously means that we're the ones who find life as he loves us instead of fighting us. Uh, entrusting his father right, and resisting worry. We know Jesus was not looking forward to the cross. He did not enjoy the, uh, the rejection that he was met by trusting God and following him in what he had called him to do. But we see him in that sacrifice of control, we see him find true life. In seeking to live as salt and light, he's sacrificing personal gain for God's glory to be made known. We see him experience a kind of life that we could only imagine even to the point of sacrificing his own life, not keeping his options open, not hoping some other better way might come along and uh, you know, skipping the cross because of that. Out of love, giving himself over to death on our behalf so that the path that he asks us to walk would actually lead to life. If Jesus had tried to keep his options open or gone half-heartedly into what God had told and asked him to do, we wouldn't have this access to life. But because Jesus did what he asks us to do in following after what God had called him to do, even to the point of sacrificing his own life, we can experience life by following after him. I think that's really incredible and I think that that's what it means for us to walk this path. To live a life in the pattern of the gospel itself. It's the way of Jesus, not just in that he teaches it, but he walks it ahead of us so that we can see where it leads as we look at his life and the life that he experiences through walking it, knowing we will experience that ourselves as we follow after him. That's the certainty. That's the hope. That's the promise we have of going all in and following Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do here. All right, so let's do some question and response. Do we have any questions that came in before we had to a time of worship and communion? Yeah, so you talked about faith um, Mm -hmm. kind of throughout the sermon. Uh, Question asked, can you speak a little bit more about what what it means to have faith? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's a very Christian-y word. You know, it's kind of one of those words like, you guys, if you've grown up in the church, you know there's all these like words that we like to use. And then you kind of like, you use it a lot. You might use it in prayers. And then, but some days you're like, I don't even know what that word means. We just say it a lot. I think faith is, can be a word like that sometimes. Um, but it is incredibly essential. And honestly, it's a kind of word that like, it, it is something we have, have to think a lot about. I think it certainly is, tr- it's, it's belief, it's, it's, but it's also trust. And it's not, just, it's not just belief in, you know, sometimes, you know, faith is a word people use outside the church too, right? Just have a little bit of faith. And what we're talking about there is like, just have a little bit of hope that, you know, something crazy might happen and it'll all work out in, the, out in the end. We don't really know for sure that'll happen, but let's have a little bit of faith in that. Faith for us is not just, it's not just that. It's not irrational. It's not kind of just being thrown out, you know, and hoping that something grabs a hold of our faith and pulls us along. It's us looking at Jesus and him being faithful to do what God called him to do 
and us clinging on to that thing and believing it will lead us to life as well. Right? It's, it, faith is a decision every single day that we make when we get up to follow after Jesus, to be faithful, to walk after him, trusting and believing that will lead us to life. We don't have certainty of that, but we can hope in the promise of God. It's as close to certainty as we can come because it comes from God himself. Okay? So, I don't know. Faith is an faith is a important concept. Uh, it's a, really, it's a really big deal, um, but I think it's important we remember it's centered on Jesus himself. It's centered on the promises of God, not just in anything we might, we might want it to. And it's a daily decision to walk in a certain way, I think. Yeah. Um, another question. What if following these things in the Sermon on the Mount um, doesn't feel light and easy like mm-hmm. you were uh, talking about if it feels like just another thing to do? Yeah, that's a good question too. I mean, um, I think that can be true. I mean, I think like sometimes like the stuff that Jesus calls us to can just feel like another obligation. And I think sometimes, I mean, there could be a lot of reasons for that. Um, and so I guess I won't speak to all of them. But I mean, honestly, sometimes it can be because we're trying to do so much else that everything feels like an obligation. Like I imagine, um, you know, if that's the way you feel about faith, you probably feel about it in other ways in your life too. And I think what Jesus is calling us to is to sometimes go through maybe a, a period where it, it, is, it feels difficult, but then to truly commit to that thing. Again, not trying to have it all, not trying to keep our options open, not thinking about the other things that we wish we were doing instead. Like we kind of talked about that social Uh, that psychology research that kind of shows when we're trying to have it all or keep our options open, we find ourselves less happy. It's really in, I think, committing and following Jesus. So that could be a thing. We're trying to do too much, and so it just feels like another thing we're throwing on the pile as opposed to the main thing that we're committing to. So that's one thought. I mean, it could be other reasons too. I would say if you want to talk more about that, I'd love to talk with you more or encourage you to talk to your community group or other people about if that's the way you're feeling, like why that might be the case. Really try to go deep and understand and ask Jesus about that. So, cool. Awesome. Well, let's um, head into a time of uh, worship and communion here. Um, We're going to take communion, and we do this every Sunday at Res City. It is an opportunity for us to respond to the sermon by examining our hearts and remembering who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. To kind of shape ourselves according to the pattern of who Jesus is, of the one who gives up his body, lets his body be broken and his blood shed for us so that we might have life. So when we take communion, we're remembering that, remembering our life comes from it. I think we're also committing to walk in that way as well, to walk in the way of sacrifice, of being willing to uh, give up um, on behalf of Jesus who's given up everything for us. So let's pray and let's enter into that time um, you don't need to be a member at Res City. We just would ask you to be a follower of Jesus if you partake in communion with us. Lord, thank you that you uh, don't ask us to do anything that you don't do yourself. You have followed the way that you call us to follow and you have experienced life from it. Life in, in ways that we can't even grasp or imagine, but life that is promised for us as we follow after you, God. Give us endurance and wisdom uh, and hope and faith to know what it looks like to do that so that we might follow after it as we should, God. Help us to do it together as a community, as a church, so we wouldn't walk that path alone, but we would be walking after it together as a family and that you would be with us as well, Lord. 
You would help us. You would carry us when we need to be carried along that path. You would encourage us. You would give us uh, endurance and hope when it might feel difficult or like a chore so that we might finish the race, God, um, and experience life both in the present and in the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.